0: we got to stop putting, heaping all this pressure on BYU. I think it's largely because they're independent. And if they lose a ball game, oh, what are they playing for? This is ridiculous. We need Riley Nelson to give us some sanity. DJ and PK. And we
1: are joined now by Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst. And as Riley knows, he's coming to us on the Sprint special guest line. Leasing the handset and get an iPad for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Riley, good morning
2: morning, and uh, P.K.'s right, happiness is a function of expectation. So for all the BYU fans out there that'd like to be a little bit happier, probably easier to adjust your expectation rather than, um, you know, waiting for some dramatic shift in, in, in wins or the quality of the program. Because any improvement that's going to come at this point is going to either take some drastic change, and even with maybe some drastic changes – it's going to, you know, whether it's scheme or leadership or coaching, um, it's going to take a while, even even after the change, to to kind of build up to where people imagine the the program can be.
1: So, do you have low expectations for BYU going to South Florida? They're two and three. You got an inexperienced quarterback who's getting his first start. But on the other side of the table, you have another team that is two and three, and they've got an inexperienced quarterback. Already, right, he's gotten a couple starts, but. Seems like a wash on those two fronts, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, and I'd say I have appropriate expectations <laughs> in that. I think it's going to be a competitive game. I think this team is has shown, obviously, with the exception of of Washington, you know, in Utah, and uh, and those games had they not. Well, Washington pretty much handed it to them, but Utah—they're not giving it away. But they—they were even competitive in the, in the first parts of those games, at least going into halftime. And uh, so they—they they can be competitive with anyone, given. And then as long as in the second half they don't come out and give the ball away and play sloppy. Uh, I expect a competitive game. So this is this is one I expect to be similar to Toledo. If BYU comes out and makes plays, one of the big things I'm looking for is they need to capitalize on opportunities once they get into field goal range, and then especially in the red zone where they were they were two for eight. Uh, Once they kind of cross the 35, which Jake Oldroyd's proven that you know 42, or, or sorry, he's proven he can you know hit from the the deep 40s. Anyway, once they've gotten into, they were two and eight against Toledo. Uh, once they kind of got in the scoring range, they need to capitalize more on those opportunities. Given that they can do that, and if they can, you know, be a little bit stiffer against the run, then I think they'll have a little bit better fortunes than Toledo. But I don't, you know, I would be my expectations are I'd be surprised if if a victory is a double-digit victory.
0: I'm wondering about how much the players are aware or concerned about things that really go beyond the actual football on the field. And what I mean by this is that with BYU, and you just heard what I said coming in, is that it just seems like – it's doom and gloom with these guys. They're going to start zero and whatever. They're going to start one and four whatever. And so there's all this pressure now. This pressure heaped on Kalani, and how much of that gets to the players? And, and in your situation, when you were playing, you know, you had this uh, guy that you're competing with heaps, and he was anointed. The press conference, the number one quarterback, all this stuff, and so it seemed like there was such pressure on the offense to deliver and they finally made that change and, like, the crowd is anxious and you can feel the anxiety practically in the stadium to make a change and they finally do it and you come in and all that stuff. Does all that it, all that add up and may become too big of a burden for the players to actually have to carry as opposed to just worrying about playing football?
2: That's a great question. I can... Uh... You know, as far as this team, I'm not. I'm not in the locker room, and I I get only you know, probably su- superficial interactions with with players as to how, how they felt. But I can tell you at least on those teams that I played on. I mean, obviously, we nobody was walking around happy or satisfied because we weren't. You know, as an offensive, you know, we weren't playing to our atten- to our potential. You know, and the, you know, it made the change. And I came in, and some things were a little bit different. We had a good offensive line. I was able to run around a little bit, cover up some of the other inefficiencies for the offense by making some plays with, with you know my legs. Which, by the way, uh, I do think is a positive heading into this game with Jaron Hall. Zach's extremely athletic, um, and was able to extend and make some big passing plays by running around and staying behind the line of scrimmage. I think. Jaron Hall, you know, taking off on third and six, where where Zach was more was maybe more inclined to thread the needle on a couple of those big third downs. Jaron can take off and and go and get those with his feet, and I think that'll help make life a little bit off easier on the offense and be able to sustain a little bit more drives by running around. But going back to what you talked about, the pressure and the expectations, n- nobody was happy, but yet nobody nobody felt the pressure. When, as you were uh, setting up the question, I was thinking about the 2012 year. So that was the year we lost, you know, four games by a combined like six or seven points. Uh, Notre Dame, Boise, Utah, all those. Anyway, uh, at the end of the season, the off the entire offensive staff gets canned, and we knew that as an offense, we weren't producing to our potential. But we also knew, you know, I was I was playing through an injury. We lost. Um, we we did have a freshman, Jamal Williams, but we had to rely on him too early because backs like Mike Elisa broke their arm and Yona Pritchard broke his leg and our offensive line pretty much everybody across our offensive line was uh, playing hurt and it was a, a game of musical chairs up front as we never had you know the same starting lineup twice that entire season so as an offense yeah we knew we weren't performing to potential but didn't think that the staff was doing such a poor job that they would be canned because we felt like it was more due to injury than it was inability to execute and you know, the view from the top, the head coaches, the athletic directors, they're the ones that have to be honest and objective about that 30-foot 30 30 foot view. And probably that's why they feel the pressure more than the actual players. But as an actual player, you get the game plan, you know, come in on Monday, get the game plan, you refine it all the way through Thursday, you get on a plane and you go play on Saturday and you kind of rinse and repeat throughout the season. And so it doesn't give much opportunity for the pressure to build up too big, at least in my experience.
1: So, what do you think as a quarterback who wasn't playing but thought he might play, and then suddenly got thrust into it? What What's a quarterback feeling right now before his first start? What's Hall thinking?
2: Well, there's uh, excitement because uh, you know every backup quarterback, at least any backup quarterback that's worth his salt, is believes he can play and believes that he can help the team and has uh, unique skill sets that can help the team be productive and produce wins. So you're excited for the opportunity to to prove that and, and to show to show what you can do, um, and mostly to your teammates and coaches. And then, uh, you know, there's a, there's a very tiny bit of vindication that does come. You know, P.K. mentioned that game. I got thrown in against Utah State. And so, you know, the fans were really excited, and they were cheering and yelling. And, and that's a vindication, too, because you're kind of like, yeah, I, I knew I could play all along, and finally all these people – are realizing it too? At least that was that was my attitude, and and, and it's one that I think you know, any quality backup at any position should have is that you know that deep hunger to get the opportunity to prove themselves, and so that that's the main thing. This the second thing is that you hope is that he's just treating this. He's relying on his previous experience. Maybe he doesn't have a D1 start, but he was a successful quarterback in high school, won a lot of games, made a lot of plays, and realized that hey, I'm that same player, I'm that same guy, I can do those same things. The game might move a little bit faster, the guys might be a little bit bigger, but at the end of the day, it's still the same game I've been playing since I was eight years old. And so, you know, try and calm any fears or apprehension by, by you know, drawing from that bank of confidence and go out there and, and uh, produce. How big is confidence early for Hall? Uh I would say not as important as, as confidence late. You know, this BYU team gave up a lead in the fourth quarter, and it, to, to me it's it'd be more important to him to be confident uh, with the ball and the opportunity to win or put the game away in the fourth quarter than it is that uh, I don't, from, from what I know of him and, and the interactions I've had with him, I don't see him as a guy who's who's going to fold or, or get a downward spiral. So for for an overall offense of a unit, so I guess the best way to answer that question is I don't think it's as important for him to make some big plays earlier, but I think it's better for the offense as a unit because while every well he's got the offensive support and it's next man up and everybody you know has been practicing with this guy for a week, there's always still that you know two, three, 5% uh, of the subconscious mind that it, it, the, the rest of the offense is wearing, can this guy really do it for us? And so if the offense as a unit can come out and make some plays early, then that'll work really well towards the momentum and psyche of it. I don't so much worry about Jaron getting off to a fast start because I know he's a fighter and he's going to play all 60 minutes. But for the psychology of the offense overall, I think it's, it's pretty vital.
1: So what is South Florida going to do to trip him up? What, When you're watching the game and you're up high, so you can see all 22 pretty easily, what do you think the big challenge is going to be for him? And, and one he may not even see coming just
2: due to lack of experience. Yeah, great question. So um, all of his – film that he's put out in games and it hasn't it hasn't been a ton obviously you had that two minute drive so you get a you get a feel for you know his ability as a passer but every rep leading up to that last two minute drive against Toledo was showing off his legs right he essentially was used as a as a fly sweep decoy or they handed him off on the fly sweep and and he was he was moderately successful I know his stats on the season don't look good part of that has to do with Um, the play against Utah when, you know, the snap was higher and off his shoulder and he lost like he started off the season with like a negative 18-yard rush and uh, he's barely back to neutral, I think. But um, so you you don't rely on the stats, but as you look at the plays he's played, you don't – most backup quarterbacks aren't your fly sweep option guys. So uh, you know that he's got speed. So I imagine – so things that they're going to try and do – anytime you get a quarterback – as a defense, you probably live in the extremes. Like BYU had – you get a quarterback who's in his first couple starts. BYU, when they played against USC, they gave Slovis a lot of issues by dropping eight and throwing a bunch of people in coverage. And then the opposite is you heat those dudes up. You play man, and then you come in, you cause a lot of he- – you collapse the pocket or at least try and cause a lot of chaos. But So I expect them to live in the extremes, and then when they're not living in the extremes, if I were them, and I imagine that they would do this – You're thinking, all right. This is a guy. He doesn't have a lot of reps going through progressions. He doesn't have a lot of, um, you know, reps being a rhythm, timing, progression-based thrower. So he's gonna always. He's probably gonna be one, two, and default to his legs. So they should spy him. If I were South Florida, I would definitely spy him and at least limit his ability to make any kind of positive legs or or positive plays with his legs. That combined with the fact that BYU's had trouble find you know, really creating wide open receivers or 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 big windows to throw into. That's how I would give Jaron Hall some problems if I were the defensive coordinator for South Florida.
0: Part of the deal with BYU, we've alluded this to this a little bit, is that their schedule always seems to be taken in its entirety rather than the next game when you're in a conference with Utah. It's all about Oregon State, then Arizona State, then Cal. But somehow with BYU, if they lose this game, that's two in a row, and then they're losing to Boise and Utah State, and then they're two and six! Oh my gosh! Do the players, do they get into that at all?
2: Uh, No, you don't. Because as a player... First of all, every coach I've ever been around emphasizes you know the you got to go 1 and 0 and 1 and 0 and 1 and 0 and secondly you get bombarded with so much film study and so much you know and the scouting reports and the and the changes in the practice plan and all those things from week to week that you don't have time to think much beyond uh, the next game and and then secondly they they don't at least none of the players or teams that I was on you get in that downward spiral where you're like, man, if we lose this one, it's going to be tough to win the next two because you, you know, you're going to prepare and you're going to go out and compete your best. And, any, you know, all the players that I played with or were around, truly believe that no matter who the opponent is. Now you're not, you're not naive. You don't think that, you know, oh, we've, you're not walking into a game against the top, you know, where, where if you're 2-4 and four, or you're 3-3 three and three, and you're walking into a game on the road against a top 25 team or something, you're not walking in there being like, oh, we got this one in the bag. But you're like, all right, if we can do this and this and this, which may, you know, the degree of difficulty may be high, but if we can do those things, we've got a chance to win this football game. So it doesn't give much opportunity for that, that downward spiral and projecting out your record.
1: Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst, joining us here. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about uh, quarterbacks and the offense, but what about the flip side of this? USF is a team that's had some issues running the ball consistently. is a team that has had issues stopping the run consistently. What do you expect in there, and how much do you think that'll determine the game more than these inexperienced quarterbacks?
2: Yeah, you know they the defense find themselves in a little bit of a tough spot at least from my perspective I'd like to see him and of course just one man's opinion right I'd like to see him play a little bit more traditional 4-3 sets because uh, they've been better at stopping the run well quite honestly they have a problem stopping the run and from my observation I don't have the advanced analytics but from my observation that's come mostly when they play 3-3 three three defensive linemen so I'd like to see him play 4-down but there's a couple issues with that they They've had trouble when teams get long drives put against them with that that defensive front maintaining, uh, you know, their energy level. And so they've been platooning. Ever since that Utah game, they've been platooning the entire defensive front. And so where they've been rotating six guys out, now if you're going to platoon, you got to look for, for eight guys or you risk guys, you know, out there that uh, aren't able to sustain the, the effort necessary over the long course of a drive. So you have some problems there. And then as you look at the back end, their are linebackers. They have a bunch of guys who are, like, for example, Kavita Fenu is a, a great player. and He's made a lot of great plays. But he's a little bit undersized if you put him in a traditional 4-3 Mike. That, that, a 4-3 Mike's got to be a, a guy that really he spends most of his days taking on linemen. You know, when Kavika is probably 230 at his heaviest, and when you're taking on guys who are 3, 3 10 all game long, first of all, the chances of you staying healthy are not great, and second of all, the chances for you being effective are, are diminished as well. And then you look at, you know, traditional outside linebackers, um, as far as, you know, a, fam, a guy that can really cover well in space and also be, uh, you know, a good run support guy, and they're kind of looking for that guy, too. And they're, and they're all banged up. You look at Keenan Pe they're either banged up or they're, you know, a freshman or a guy getting his first look. Now, that that excuse, as you look at, you know, like Peyton World, Max Tui, Keenan Peely, Jackson Capusi, Kavika Fanula, you look at those guys, that's that main core from which I would draw those three. They were either young guys or they were banged up. Now, banged-up excuse doesn't go away, but the young guy excuse does because most of all these guys have played in at least four, and most of them have played every game this season. And so, uh, you know, that experience factor, You, you can uh, I would put a little bit tr- more trust in that linebacking core um, switching to a 4-3, to, even though they haven't gotten a lot of looks at it this so far this season you've got to give it a shot because you've got to do something and then the last thing as we work our way back to the defense is one of the things I was not well if I were defensive coordinator I would have not done was keep two safeties high as much as they did. you got to invert that, that second safety down for run support. You can still be there in the intermediate pass game especially against a Toledo team that and really couldn't push the ball down the field in South Florida, while they've got some speed on the edge, they haven't proven to consistently be able to make plays down the field, and so you've got to bring that safety in to provide that added you know that added run support. so those would be I think it's absolutely vital that you know it's crazy that I'm going into this game hoping they hold South Florida under two hundred yards, right just because their average is much higher than that. And they haven't proven really to be able to do otherwise. So I'm hoping if, if they can do that, I feel like they have an even better chance. to win. if they can get more down like a stingy defense or, or a, a, an upper half defense and hold them to around 150 yards, I really like their chances. But I think in order to do that, you've got to change up the look. You've got to change up the scheme because the 3-4 has not been as effective as it needs to be.
0: It's not one man's opinion. It's Riley Nelson's opinion. Let's make sure we're abundantly clear on that, Riley.
2: <laughs> That's, yeah, I'll, I'll own it. And
0: uh, <laughs> you always you do. know it.
2: Yeah, my my opinions come with uh, they come with a grain. I, I, the reason why I say that is it comes with a grain of salt, and it comes with limited perspective. Right, I'm not in the staff rooms, I'm not in the meeting rooms, I'm not in all those things. I just watch the games and. Kind of tell you what I can think. There may be some things going on behind doors that I don't know about. So I say that because I know if a player, or a player's family is listening to this, they're probably saying, "Ah, oh, he's an idiot because he doesn't know X, <laughs> Y, and Z." So I just want to make sure people know that I don't profess to be all knowing.
1: <laughs> were you listening to us when you were playing, thinking those two guys are idiots? that don't know X, Y, and Z.
2: <laughs> Man, I wish I had time. I was I was an idiot when I was playing uh, in the fact that my you know my father's a. My father's a surgeon. and I was pre-med, and I wish someone would have put their arm around me and said, "Look, but you are gonna—you should not be pre-med. Go and get a d- degree in geography or a degree in communications, and you'll figure out your, how to make a living after football." But instead, I was. I was up at 6, so I could have listened to you guys, but instead I was six going to meet with tutors and trying to get steady just to keep my grades serviceable. So uh, I wish I could have listened to you guys, but maybe not, because I know we we experienced some rough times, and when the waters get rough, I know the quarterback's the first one to take some heat.
1: I never understood why you were stretching your back out at San Jose in obvious pain on camera and then went back into the game. That's what you would have heard us talking about. And then it turned out it was broken. <laughs> you looked like you were trying to stretch. It's broken. You can't stretch that out.
2: All right, Riley, we appreciate yeah, that, it. Yeah, thank you, guys. Uh, always pleasure to be with you. And uh, TK, thanks for being you know, the. Family therapist for all of the BYU Cougar fans out there, and uh, we'll hope for better fortunes in Florida sure. in a couple of days.